Built Not Born, episode 120. Hey everyone, it's Joe Chicarone. Today's guest is Dr. Leanne Mariello. Leanne Mariello is a thought leader in the science of behavior change. Everyone has something they want to change in their life. Maybe we want to eat better. Maybe we want to exercise more. Maybe we want to stop smoking. There's always a change we're looking to make, but sometimes life or our habits get in the way. Leanne shares the science behind behavior change. She gives us some great ideas on how to get unstuck and implement those changes we're looking to make to lead a more productive, happier, and effective life. It was an honor to get Dr. Mariello on the show. She shares a ton of great ideas and advice backed by science. So I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, hit that follow button or share this episode with a friend. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation on the science of behavior change with Dr. Leanne Mariello. And remember, life is built, not born. Dr. Leanne Mariello, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Thanks. So glad to be here. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I am, by training, a behavior change scientist. I like to think of myself, though, more as maybe a lifestyle medicine pioneer. My work really focuses at the intersection of behavior change and lifestyle medicine and digital health. And really, my passion, it's typically always in some way related back to empowering and supporting individuals to make meaningful and lasting behavior change through a variety of different projects and places of employment throughout my career really have had amazing opportunities to really develop programs that can help individuals stay healthy, get healthy, and keep them on that track because so much of our country is struggling with chronic disease. What I would like to do, Leanne, I'd like to get into behavior change science. What is it? How can it benefit the average person? Lifestyle medicine, the concept is food is medicine, and then digital health, what that is, uh, how that affects the average person. Uh, but before we do that, let's start back all the way from the beginning. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Really? Um, and actually, I, I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. Once I went to college and graduate school, it, it kind of wasn't on the radar until that uh, sitcom The Office came out. So I grew up not too far from Scranton, Pennsylvania, that now everybody is aware of because of that wonderful show that I love when I'm like traveling in a hotel and there's reruns on, right? <laughs> um, so not far from Scranton, Pennsylvania. We need some Dwight. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yes, exactly. But how did you first get into behavior change science? Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I kind of knew pretty early in in my life that I was interested in the general field of psychology. In high school, I had the opportunity to take an advanced placement class in psychology. And as a freshman at Connecticut College in New London, Connecticut, I was able to, since I took that AP psychology class, I was able to take an elective. And I chose health psychology. It was being taught by Dr. Joan Chrysler, who ended up being a really important mentor in my life. And she really inspired me. The course inspired me. And I joined her research group as an undergrad. So I had the opportunity to start doing research and traveling to conferences within the field of health psychology, even as an undergraduate. And so that really kind of solidified um, me wanting to go into graduate school and, and focus on that. So behavior change, yeah. the, I think some of the hardest things in anything from diet, exercise, even on the jujitsu mat, be, to change your behavior, and especially I, I see as people get older, they get more stuck in their ways to a degree where it is so hard to change your routine and what you do in that comfort level like as, as, as just as a human being. Does that make sense? Like it's so hard. Oh, yeah. Like we're so habitual. And uh, one of my mm -hmm. mentors says like uh, a habit turns into a groove uh, that turns into a rut that slowly turns into a grave. So like behavior change, why is it so hard to change mm -hmm. behaviors in just about anything and especially food and diet? Like, could, could you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, as you alluded to, we are, we're creatures of habit, right? We, we get into routines and 
there is a lot of friction that we encounter when we get really accustomed to doing something certain way, just like people almost could get not addicted in a bad way, but like for some people running or exercise becomes something that they must do every day, right? For others that maybe get off of that track or get so accustomed to not moving. And then as you mentioned, as they get older and realize for their health and well-being, they need to move more. It's really difficult to change the way that you behave. And why it's so important is that we know that so much of chronic disease right now is related to our lifestyle behavior and our lifestyle risks, right? We know a lot of us aren't that healthy. We know a lot of people have more than one health behavior that they could probably use to do better with. And so a lot of times it becomes overwhelming also because we don't know where to start, right? Or we maybe know what we want as an outcome. We want to lose weight. We want to have more energy. We want to look different, but we have to like distill that down to actually a behavior to change. And a lot of times, you know, as we're just living our lives, we're not thinking, we're thinking about what we want, how we want the outcome to be different, but aren't really that clear on what do we have to do to get there. Yeah. And you see that, that behavior change is so hard. Like, like I brought up jujitsu, you're on the mat and you're rolling with somebody and you're just so used to doing certain moves. And then it's so hard to implement new moves in your game, especially if you train for a while, you have a set group of moves you're comfortable with and then put another move into that comfort zone takes months and months of practice. And, and you literally have to stop and be comfortable being bad for a while before it's proficient. Mm -hmm. Right. And then even like with like diet, like you don't like, oh, like I, like someone's like, well, I don't like salad or I don't like vegetables or whatever. Like they just, there's a general category like they just don't touch. And it's so hard to implement that into their day-to-day system. Where does that come from? And then what are some best practices to maybe change our behavior and how to get the process going to maybe a more optimal level? If you could speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, diet's a a great example because a lot of, so where does that come from? Again, I think we fall into routines or habits, right? Our our diet is often influenced by our upbringing, maybe our 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 cultural influences. We know kind of going to college and then becoming young adults, sometimes those dietary preferences and patterns change, but we fall into a, a trap, right? And in America, at least, there's this reality that we kind of have this standard American diet, also known as SAD, right? And all of the norms and the foods around us, everything is supersized, right? And processed and ultra processed. And so I think that's how it, we so easily fall into a routine where so much of what we're consuming is doing harm rather than benefit. And I think diet's a great example, right? A lot of times people will stop and say, maybe they grab a high caloric intake espresso latte on the way to work or something, right? Or and grab a breakfast sandwich and lunch, maybe it's fast food because they're on the road, whatever that might be. And then maybe we stop and say like, gosh, I want to change, right? I, I got to stop eating this way, right? Like think about how many times like you've heard someone say, I've got to stop eating this way. Well, what does that mean? Um, Because eating is something we do many times a day. It is social, right? It's something that we do to respond to stress. Sometimes it's, there's so many influences, food and and what we're eating and drinking is throughout our whole day. So diet is particularly tricky because it is encompasses so many different behaviors, right? What are we drinking? Are we drinking sugar sweetened beverages? Are we drinking enough water? Are we eating enough plants, right? Are we eating enough whole grains? Are we um, reducing processed foods, right? And so with diet, really some of the best practices are uh, apply from like behavioral science more generally that we can distill down to diet is we need to start small and start somewhere. And so a lot of times we want this fresh start cold turkey approach, which very rarely is successful. So, right, we see that we're we're coming into Halloween, Thanksgiving, uh, the winter holidays, New Year's resolutions will be on. It's like January 1, stop eating this way. Well, that's really hard and very unlikely to be successful what we really need to do is is really distill it down to a very specific small step, small behavior, and make those small steps, small successes are steps um, towards much bigger and longer lasting success. Yeah, let's stop there for a second. You mentioned like the importance of if you want to accomplish a big goal, very rarely can you just go cold turkey into something where you need, you, you mentioned the behavior science shows you have to start small take small meaning small baby steps towards a big goal. So it's like almost yep. like that micro step, right? Like exactly. it's almost like if you want to write a book, you're not going to sit down and write the book and write 50,000 words in 3 days and like done. Like you might write 200 crappy words on the first day. 
and maybe only use a hundred of them after you ed- do the editing process, right? And then micro steps that when you step back six months later, like, wow, I have half a book done. But like, if you yeah. can't just go all in and say, I'm changing my diet all at once. So with that in mind, let's say you have someone that's with that standard American diet. This may, let's just take the mm-hmm. average person, they're 45 year old male, 30 pounds overweight, probably doesn't exercise, works a lot, runs their kid, runs his kids everywhere. Where's that person starts? Loves cheese from, say they're from Philly, cheesesteaks, pizza, wings, beer. Where do they start? They go, you know what? I, I got to lose a little bit of weight. I got to get my, maybe my cholesterol's high. Where do they start to bring it to a meaningful results? Yeah. So where I would say the best or where science would, would indicate is the probably most successful way to start is like I said, to start small, but to start where there'd be the least amount of friction and it would be as easy for that individual to make a change, right? So you mentioned cheesesteaks and fries and, right, I, I would recommend that person think about their day. And when they think about breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, where's the easiest point to make a change, right? Where's the easiest place for them to replace something unhealthy with something healthy, or it could be adding something, right? Like, well, yeah, if there's a salad in front, I'll eat it. So sure, I can have like a small salad every night with dinner, right? So like wherever they, that it has to be so individualized to be successful, wherever that easiest first step is. And the, the reason why is not just, you know, arbitrary, starting small, starting with easy things first is all around building confidence. And that's really one of the most important behavior change strategies. People who have higher self-efficacy or higher confidence to change are more likely to change. We don't just wake up on January 1 and, you know, have more confidence because it's January 1, right? Those small steps, those small wins, it's literally how we're building confidence. And that's why starting with whatever would be easiest for the person, they're going to feel, you know, built up and excited that they, they were able to do that. Oh, I can do that. All right. Well, what's the next step? So that's where I'd, how I'd recommend they start. Just looking back, like in college, I had probably as horrible as a diet as anybody. And I, I remember, it was, I think it was a Dr. Oz book, actually, way back in the day. And he says, when you're in a supermarket, you're in a pharmacy. And I never looked at it that way. Like the supermarket, you could take the drugs that do harm or the drugs that do good. And like food is a drug. And I remember on the first switches, I stopped drinking soda maybe 20 years ago. And I, I started drinking the seltzers. Like this, the flavored seltzers with no calories. And that wasn't that big of a switch. Like it wasn't dramatic. That was like my easiest first step. And it was amazing. Like just how much better you felt a couple of weeks later, where instead of having a soda or two a day, you replace it basically with water. And um, six months later, I, I, even though I was still like my thirties, or like, or like I felt so good. Like I literally felt the difference a few weeks later, like simple changes yep. go a long way. Right. I mean, I, I just remember when I started eating healthier breakfast, I kind of switched to like an oatmeal, oatmeal with berries, which is, I, I find that tastes good. It was so easy to skip the breakfast sandwiches with cheese, sausage, bacon, yep. and go right to that. Like little, you're saying like little small changes like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and Joe, for me, giving up soda was a diet soda was much more difficult, right? My my family thought like, oh, I'm never going to give up Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, right? And it, I wasn't one of those people that like drank tons of it per day. But yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Each of us, it's personalized where that the easy point is. But like you, I haven't, I don't think had diet soda for about eight years. And once you, even for those things that are more difficult, the aspects to change, once we build up that confidence, we can commit and say, you know what, even though this is going to be really hard for me, I'm going to, I've done X, Y, and Z. I bet I can tackle this. And typically what people need, especially in the diet, was five to 10 days without whatever that more difficult aspect of changing their diet is, whether that is adding something in or removing something. There's something called a palate reset. And again, that's when you maybe take a bigger step further along the trajectory and try to really cut out all processed foods, all sugars, just for five days. People don't realize, like you're saying, what a change you can actually feel in your body with just five days. When we are able to get individuals to commit to five days to doing some level of fasting or cutting back, or just like I said, cutting out the crap and the sugar, um, that can be a really meaningful um, exercise because they're like, wow, I already feel better. I bet I can do this longer. So I want to get back to, I want to, that fasting, I want to get back to that in a moment, but Here's one thing I noticed when you talk about behavior change, and I, I just find that subject fascinating. 
Weight Watchers is a popular program in the United States here. There's multiple people I know that that went on Weight Watchers and then they lost 30 pounds. Then they stop Weight Watchers and they gain 30 pounds. Then two, three years later, they go back on Weight Watchers, they lose 30 pounds. And then seven months later, they're 30 pounds. They found the 30 pounds. Like, how does that happen? Where like they like they're on the program and it works, and then they just can't keep that behavior up. Could you speak to that? Like scientifically, like where does yeah, that come from? I can. And I'll talk about this scientifically from someone that authored a chapter in a textbook. And I used Weight Watchers as an example of a program that's how it is developed is for people who are like ready to change, right? And then you know, in the last couple of years, I actually worked for Weight Watchers for a period of time. So it's, it's, it's a good, it's the right program for people who are ready to change. And so Joe, even some of those examples of people you gave where they've done the program, they've fallen off and they're get, they get off track and then they go back. Really the, uh, an instrumental behavior change theory to the field is this idea of stages of change or meeting people where they're at. And I was lucky enough to study with Dr. James Prochaska, who founded that model in the late 70s, early 80s. And that that idea of that model that's now applied internationally is meeting people where they are and helping them, um, helping them do the really important behavior change strategies that are before changing. So it's about doing that early preparation work and doing the stuff that's before the be- actually changing your behavior, right? Changing your mindset, changing the way you're thinking about that behavior, changing the way why why you want to work towards that behavior, right? It's all that more cognitive, emotional aspect. And I mean, it sounds intense, but it's not really. I mean, you can reflect on things, right? Think about like, well, why do I even want to do this? And why that model was so important is because a lot of programs that existed were like Weight Watchers, right? They assumed you walk in um, and you're ready to go. And, and the program just, it's not, a, it's not built to help people with all of those early behavior change steps. So a lot of times people who do programs like Weight Watcher, they do, they they jump in and out like full throttle without doing some of that early preparation work that is really those the, that foundation, right? When you think about like going on a vacation, you don't just go to the airport and hop on a plane. You do all that pre-work and that packing and that planning and that itinerary. So when you get there, you have a successful trip. It's kind of similar like with Weight Watchers. It's like every time you take a vacation, just going to the airport and hopping on the plane without being ready. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I think too, where I think just a human being falls down is um, there's an author, John A. Cuff, and he has a saying, what do you do the day after perfect ends? Let's say you don't want to smoke and you quit smoking and you didn't smoke for 21 days. And then that 22nd day is a really rough day. When your kid's sick, the job's stressful, you have all this pressure on you and you have a beer and all of a sudden you light up and you you smoke 10 cigarettes. And then they just, usually a human being would jump right back into their old pattern where, where the day after perfect, where you can fall down, but then the ones that usually succeed say, all right, I fell down a day. That's fine. Progress isn't linear. I can jump back on. I could just have one bad day, then go back to my new habit. How is it so hard, like the day after perfect? Like, where's wh- what does this research show that, like, when perfect ends, sometimes the new habit ends? Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And, and you're right. We need to think about it about progress over perfection. I think a, a lot of us, it, it, it takes a lot of our, like, you know, internal capital to um, overcome that friction and actually make a behavior change, right? So we have a lot riding on that emotionally, really, in every way. And a lot of us, it comes back to mindset. A lot of us enter it, even if maybe we wouldn't say these words, but we enter it wanting perfection to continue forever. And a lot of times, especially when we're doing behavior change outside of, you know, working with a health coach or some sort of structured program, we're not training ourselves and, and entering that behavior change thinking or with the assumption we're going to fall off. It's very, very rare that anybody does any healthy behavior change 100% of the time, all the days, the rest of their life, right? But we often enter, especially in those early behavior change, you know, weeks, months, where we're still newly adopting a behavior where we want to keep it up. We've worked really hard to get here. And as soon as we fail, we fail hard because we feel like, oh my gosh, I just blew it. I blew it. I blew it. Instead of actually thinking that, well, a little tiny slip, but I've, I've done all this work that's going to help like accelerate me right back on this path. 
and not get back, not, you know, kind of fall into that mindset of feeling helpless and like all hope is lost. You mentioned you spent some time with the world renowned uh, Dr. Jim Procheska. Mm-hmm. And yep. so what did you learn from him? Yeah, they tell us what were some of your main learnings that your time spent under him. Yeah. So in graduate school, I um, had the ability to mentor under him and, and many other of the professors at the uh, Cancer Prevention Research Center at the University of Rhode Island. And so, as I mentioned, Jim co-founded or co-developed this theory of behavior change that uh, he and you know his team of colleagues at that research center studied, but then studied behavior change by talking with and personally working with those who were smoking and using tobacco. So it was really from, you know, individuals that really informed this whole model of how we can approach behavior change in a much more incremental way and more successful way. And so, as I mentioned, some of those key learnings was um, this whole idea of meeting people where they are, right? We It's so important when we're developing behavior change programs or we're taking on behavior change ourselves to really think about where we are and match the strategies and the actions we're going to take to where we are in that behavior change process. Decades now that this model's existed and again is used internationally, a lot of it we take for granted, but this idea of small steps, right? And using small steps to build confidence. The whole idea that we just talked about, Joe, about, you know, how do we keep up? How do we maintain behavior change? Like one of the stages of Jim's model is maintenance and all around how do we keep people and help people sustain his model and theory is really now filtrated into just how we all think about behavior change. And he just has such a legacy. I actually attended his memorial. He passed away several months ago, um, but just attended his memorial a few weeks ago and being able to be there in person and seeing there was even a representative from the national national institutes of health. That was his program officer because Jim led, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to study behavior change and really just seeing that visible presence of the, the strong legacy he leaves. I'm just so grateful to have studied. And then I, I worked for a company he founded, Pro Change Behavior Systems, and spent about 12 years there. So really got even beyond graduate school to work really closely with him and his team in not only studying, but really for me, that important piece of applying these strategies to developing digital programs and developing health coaching protocols that enable so many around the globe to help people be more successful with behavior change than we were able to be several decades ago. I want to touch on digital health in a second, but Jim Mack, you mentioned smoking uh, about the data. There's a few people I know that are highly educated, great people, but they can't kick the smoking habit. Why is smoking so hard to kick? And do you have any best practices you learned uh, with your time under gym, only how the average person can stop smoking or at least reduce the amount they smoke. Yeah, so much of that is about the the addictive nature, right? It, it's similar to, I mean, now we kind of have an a, a epidemic of folks being addicted to processed foods, right? So very, very similar, very similarly, tobacco, right? We know chemically changes the brain, and it is that like endorphin rush, right? And so that's why it is so terribly difficult to change. It's it has become easier because our social norms have changed. Um, you know, I was at a, actually at a health conference held in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago and entering my hotel and the tobacco smoke in the casino to get to the elevator Crazy. was overwhelming. And, and it was, yeah. yeah, overwhelming, right? But when we think back a few decades ago, yeah. everywhere around- Coffee shops, right? yeah. Exactly, right? Airplanes, right? Yeah. And so- it's become easier because our social norms have changed. Our built environment around us is not supportive of a tobacco smoker or tobacco user. So in some ways, it's become easier to change. And really, those that are still smoking, we really can't probably find a human that's going to say smoking is healthy. They might say, you know, everyone in my family smoked and they lived to 85. I'm going to be fine. Like whatever. They might not believe it's going to kill them. But no one's going to say, yes, it's healthy. I should be doing this. So really, those that are continuing to smoke are probably those that are, there's always going to be a segment of the population that we're not able to help change. So sometimes that addiction is so strong or or the environment and um, kind of life circumstances of that individual is so stressful that maybe they're tackling other things that are more difficult or mm. pressing to their health than tobacco. Yeah, there are challenges that we just can't overcome even with science. Understood. You mentioned fasting a couple minutes ago. Can you speak to the benefits of intermittent fasting? In in developing culinary medicine and food as medicine and lifestyle medicine programs, fasting was an area that I I and really the, the team I was leading at an integrated health system, we didn't 
inter-lifestyle medicine work saying we're going to, you know, build programs for fasting. It's in the science has existed for decades, right? It's not necessarily a new concept. However, it coming into kind of like public light and becoming more accessible, it certainly is more recent, but there is a a lot of evidence and science that supports uh, giving our body a rest from digesting food um, is incredibly, incredibly helpful to not only our cardiometabolic system, our brain health, and, and how long we live and how well we live. And it's again, it is something that we are kind of socially acclimated to eating breakfast, lunch and dinner and snacks, right? And, and kind of maybe not eating when we're sleeping. And that's about it. And what fasting shows us is that when we can extend that amount of time that we are not digesting or consuming food, really, as we increase the amount of time that we are not consuming and digesting food, we are increasing the health benefits, giving our body kind of a break. It also shortens the amount of hours by which we're consuming food. So you have less opportunity (laughs) to eat unhealthy food, right? We can often cut calories just by cutting the number of hours that we're eating. Now, again, there's always exceptions, but typically for most of us, if we cut the number of hours that we're going to be eating in a day, we're going to cut the number of calories. And then we're also going to give our body that really important break from digesting that does tremendous benefits to our cells of our body. No, thanks for sharing that. And I, I hear you speak to a few people asked that they can't, they would love to do intermittent fasting. But one of the behaviors they just, that gets in the way of that behavior change is they go, I get headaches. If I don't eat every three hours, I get a headache. Or if I don't have breakfast, I have the worst headache by 10 o'clock. Could you speak to that? What, what yeah. And I just, go ahead. yeah, go. I'm going to even like say, just say personally, right? I grew up hearing from my, my parents that like, yes, if you don't eat enough, you don't eat enough protein, you're going to get a headache, right? Yep. And so sh- certainly there's there's backing behind that. But I, I did spend most of my adult life thinking every time I got a, a headache, it was that I hadn't eaten enough. And after, you know, having this amazing opportunity to build this lifestyle medicine and culinary medicine team and program at a health system, once I changed my diet, after a few days, the headaches went away, right? And so sometimes I'm not suggesting people that it's not real or it's not true. I, I would just suggest that people kind of give that, like give yourself a five day break when you cut out some of those other factors that might be producing headaches or not getting enough sleep or having too much caffeine or whatever it might be, sugar, processed foods, some percentage of headaches do go away. What I would also say is that if morning time is a for an individual a time where they find that they get headaches if they don't eat, it doesn't have to be the morning window. Maybe they that they that they fast. Maybe they stop eating at six p.m. Maybe they move their dinner up, right? And maybe they fast six p.m. to six a.m. or six p.m. to eight a.m. So there are it, fasting does not have to be a certain number of hours. Obviously, whenever you sleep is your natural kind of bulk of your fasting hours. But you can add onto that fasting period either before you go to sleep or on either end of, of the day. Is what I'm trying to say. But yeah. So that could be something also that people can try. Get creative. You could start at the end. You could do it at the end of the day, beginning of the day, make it work for you, like meet the person where they are. So let's get to your work. Diet quality is a vital sign. Tell us about your work there. Yeah. So I'm currently working with the organization called Diet ID. Actually, recently, two weeks ago, acquired really exciting Next Step by Tangelo. So the Diet ID family is part of the Tangelo family now. Tangelo is a, a food as medicine organization. And so the diet ID kind of segment of that organization that I've been working with for the last year is in my role there as leading strategic partnerships is diet ID has a patented digital technology that's scientifically validated that allows someone within 60 to 90 seconds through selection of visual images, um, measure their diet quality. And so what this tool, again, developed by scientists brought to life by product engineers, allows individuals to interact with their technology on any mobile internet device and allows them to, in a really easy, fun, engaging way. Um, it's not about like taking pictures of what you're eating, but rather you answer a couple of questions about your typical dietary pattern. And then you're presented with images, kind of like when you go to the eye doctor, right? And you're shown two images, which one is clearer. But you're presented with images and asked to select which of these patterns of eating most resemble yours. And in a really fun, engaging way, right? It gets smarter and smarter based upon your responses. And it informs someone what their dietary pattern style is. Is it Mediterranean? 
Is it pescatarian? Are they following a whole food plant-based diet? Um, but then it also provides a score from one to 10 and gives people an indication from one being the lowest quality to 10 being the highest quality diet where their diet falls. Typically, that kind of assessment is done through a really long food frequency questionnaire that's pages and pages long and takes 30 minutes, or you're asked to keep a diary log for a certain number of days, right? So this makes being able to quantify someone's diet quality much more accessible and scalable. And before working with them, when I had the opportunity to build out a lifestyle medicine medical specialty, we were actually Diet ID's first health system customer. And certainly now their book of business has grown exponentially, but we were the first health system to implement Diet ID that all patients had to take the Diet ID assessment so that we can make diet quality a vital sign. Just like blood pressure is, right? We, we go to the doctor, we routinely have our blood pressure tested. Now there are many health systems that are integrating this diet ID assessment as a way to make diet quality a vital sign because we know how important it is to our health. Chris, if you look at diet, you don't have to die at 70 years old like your parents did and your grandparents did. You can live to 90, 95. You don't need to have the same cardiovascular conditions that your family did. So I remember Dr. Christy Arts, one of your colleagues, was on the show maybe about a year ago and she said, diseases run in families because diets run in families. And yeah. you want to change the, the diseases that run in your families, change your diet. And then here we are, fast forward to you, but the, the behavior is so hard to change. Like you said, my parents smoke, my grandparents smoke, my aunt smoke, so I smoke. My family, we all eat a certain way. My grandparents eat a certain way. So I'm going to eat a certain way. And it's how can we break that pattern? And one of the things that your work is in is that digital health. How can digital health help people make like behavior change. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, digital health is, has just, I mean, exploded, right? It's not even five over the last 10 years. In fact, the conference I was at two weeks ago um, was a digital health conference, 13,000 um, attendees, all in kind of leadership roles across the, the country. So we know apps, right, are are loaded on our phones. And we, we all are familiar with the MyFitnessPals and the Headspace and um, there's there's so many tools out there. We are starting to see, fortunately, to some extent, the the digital health apps that have the science basis are hopefully, you know, are the ones that we're seeing that are persisting. That was a, a concern for a while is that there were so many apps out there. It was hard to tell like which which could really help. So I think it, it kind of even comes back to like behavior change. When we think about apps, they're not the the one size fits all solution for all but they are kind of a tool in our toolbox now, depending on the behavior we're looking to change. Certainly apps out there can help us. Typically it's by helping us stay accountable, right? Helping us to track our behavior, helping us to monitor um, how, how our changes are going, right? Even just, you know, those of us that use an, uh, have an Apple watch or a Fitbit or an iPhone, right? Just getting that kind of message at the end of the day of how many steps you took is that gentle nudge. And so I think, you know, some of the greatest things that the digital health technology can bring to us is allowing us to monitor and assess our data, provide those nudges. Where I see a lot of um, growth happening in digital health, where that science really supports, which I'm excited about, is um, helping us to connect with others. We know that peer support, I mean, you mentioned, Joe, right? Diets run in families, right? We tend to behave like uh, those around us. And so it can be really difficult if we, you know, come to a, a point where we really want to make, we can keep using diet, you know, big changes to our diet and all of our friends and family members don't eat that way. It's so important for us to find a peer, um, a peer support group that can help us, right? Kind of come back to that Weight Watchers model. Well, now with digital health, there's so many more um, apps and technologies out there that are trying to build out really robust platforms you know, we have Facebook, but how can we really create those digital communities all rallied around a particular health area or behavior area that can support each other? And so that's one of the areas within digital health that I'm I'm most excited about. And one of the areas at Diet ID that we've expanded that technology in the last year to include digital communities, because it is so important. Just to recap, I got three things I kind of just picked up over the last couple of minutes you're speaking of. You're speaking of one, tracking, using digital health to track your progress, right? There's a great Seinfeld story. There was a comedian that went to him and, and said, uh, Jerry, like, how do you get this great material? How do I become a better comic? And he says, buy a calendar, write jokes every day. And when you when you write new material, put an X on the calendar. 
and start a streak and don't break the streak. Don't break yep, the chain. Streak. Yep. Just keep the X's going as long as possible. Right. So that to so digital health can help there. Uh, but, and then second, you said nudges. Um, my wife and I about a year or two back discovered the Strata app. It probably been around for a while. It's new to us. Like a year ago, we probably discovered it. So all our bike rides, walks, hikes, we do the Strata app and like we're ready to get done. And I'll say, Oh, it's 3.7, 3.8 miles. I'm like, we got to hit four. So like we just stop, we don't go hunt, we don't walk in our house and we walk around the block three more times. Yep. Then we hit four, where if it wasn't for that digital technology, we wouldn't have walked as far. So it actually like it nudges you to do more, right? To have exactly. a little bit more. Yep. And then lastly, you mentioned community, how like you can you can find like-minded people, right? Like Seth Godin, who's been a guest on the show, he always says, find the others the other people that are connected to you. And it's funny where like, I have a group of people like I train jujitsu with. There's one group if I'm with, within five minutes, we're on the ground choking each other, showing new chokes. So like, what right. group you're with is who you're with is your environment determines who you become, right? So like who you spend the most of your time with is most likely which way you take your life. If you're with people that smoke and drink on Friday night, that's probably the way you're going. If you're with people that get up at five o'clock in the morning and work out, if that's your community, you're probably going to do that, right? Is that basically right. Yes, yeah. And then it's, it's another big place of that friction that we talked about. It's so much friction. Yeah. It's, it's a um and then also to getting back to the tracking aspect of the digital health, you got the streak. Just say you ate healthy or you worked out or whatever your your X chain was. You you did the chain for X amount of days. Like, what do you do the day after perfect, right? Like progress mm -hmm. is not linear. You have to be. I guess hearing what your research shows, you have to be um, kind to yourself when you fall off on the seventh day and, and maybe retro back to where you were a month ago, right? Maybe you go back to your right. old habit. You have to say, fine, I had a bad day and just get back on, get back on the, get back onto the new habit, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and we see, uh, um, you know, we see digital health companies building in kind of that, like, be kind to yourself a little bit. I mean, I'm a Peloton treadmill user, right? And so they have streaks, but there's multiple streaks going, right? So certainly I might break my, you know, days, the days in a row streak, but it might be this many weeks in a row that you've done XYZ. At Diet ID, how we've done that is we do weekly challenges and we build in two passes, right? Mm, so maybe passes, two days okay. of the week, two passes, right? I'm working, consulting with an organization on a, a continuous glucose monitor um, for monitoring diabetes and they're, they're adding in, you know, food logging. And so... We, we thought about that and thought about, well, are people really going to log their food every single day and for how long? And how we address that is having the individual kind of choose the amount of days they're going to log for for that week, right? So having some ownership, some autonomy is really important so that we want to build people up. And, and like you're saying, Joe, we, we want to build in that, that grace or that buffer zone so that they can be human and skip a day and it still be okay. Yeah, like be human. Basically, we want to set up beat the myth of perfection and we want to sustain change for the long haul. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's nah, really good. And really that's good. the slow and steady, right? It's a, yeah. it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, sure. And then it, wrapping up the behavior change, I, I could talk behavior change all day. I find it fascinating. What if you had to do like a one, two, three, anything from people that wanted to change their diet, maybe smoke less, work out more. Maybe they want to start a writing habit. Like I just, I wish I wrote uh, uh, a weekly blog and I just can't get back into writing. What are a few steps, like starting small, like some generalized steps to get a new uh, behavior change going and to keep it going, if you could share that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say um, one of the most powerful things is to think about the, the, the why. Like, why do you want to do this, right? What do you... Like depending on the behavior, right? Like what's gonna what what does it matter? What are the benefits? Like, how's it gonna change things? How's it gonna make you better? Um, and and really almost no matter what you're trying to change, if you spend some time up front really understanding like why, what's gonna come out of it, what what's what's in it for you, that can really, really help propel future progress and really being successful for the long haul. I know we already talked about it to death, but I mean, I, I can't help but say like, start small, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned whether it's diet, whether it's writing a book, like you mentioned, like write something, um, eat something healthy, make, make one small change, just start somewhere. There's this phrase called chronic contemplation. It's one of those stages of change that I alluded to earlier. 
so many people are, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But you know, next week, next week, next week. Why? Why? Because it always feels overwhelming. So just start, but start small. So I'd say focus on the why focus on like, what are you going to get out of it? That that's really how to, to, you know, loop back to that first one that I mentioned. That's really how we make um, the motivation intrinsic, something that we're working towards and really spending that time thinking about it. And then starting small, doing something, just getting going um, are the, the two really, really big things I'd say. And if I could add one thing that you said, maybe a couple minutes ago, uh, crush the myth of perfection. So you let's just say somebody's exactly. trying to write something. Uh, you have to be comfortable with a crappy first draft. Like you, you be be comfortable mm-hmm. with some bad writing, or be comfortable with uh, like not an ideal diet, but maybe you had a good meal. Like maybe one of the three meals mm-hmm. that day was pretty healthy, and that that's a good day to exactly. start, right? So yep, yep, yep. So just to recap yep. what you said, think about your why. The, uh, understand the benefits, why you're doing something. The second one, start small. Just make one small move. Get rid of that, con- you call it chronic uh, contemplation. Get rid of that. Yep. And then get rid of perfect, like destroy the myth of perfect. Just start small and That's be right. comfortable with like a like a very average first draft or very average first meal, but like you know you're, you're building something there. Does that make sense? Exactly, so, yes. So yeah. good, so good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. How about this? Um, uh, let's just transfer over real quick. This part of the interview we call "Share Your Secrets," so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more as a person. Um, most high achievers like yourself have like a routine, either how to start their day or to end their day. Um, what's your What's your first thirty minutes or last thirty minutes of your day like? What's your routine like? Hmm. Can I choose a different time? Yeah, sure. Yeah, please. Okay. I'd say uh, for me, my um, my regular routine is is walking, power walking, yeah. uh, whether that's in my house or outside. Um, and typically, as much as I want that to happen, you know, early, it doesn't. I have children and, you know, whatever the schedule might be getting out to school. So sometimes it is the end of the day um, or sometimes it's, you know, early evening or late afternoon. But for me, it's that walking that does the, the stress management, right? Helps me um, just get outside, you know, kind of feel calm. Um, but it's also where I do my best thinking. So I have to say I'm like in my neighborhood, probably that crazy woman everyone sees, like they think I'm like, you know, on my phone, but it's like all my thoughts. It might be something I'm writing. It might be a to-do list, but it's like everything just kind of comes out there. Um, and sometimes it's like the great time to, to catch up with family and friends on the phone. So walking is my, like, that's been my study, my, my whole life. Oh, that from Seneca, the Roman philosopher, Seneca, Nietzsche, all great thoughts were brought about by walking. It's it's unbelievable walking around and just totally clears your head, clears your mind and getting outside is just amazing, isn't it? It's just yeah, yeah. awesome. And Joe, towards people getting to know me, can I can I add something funny to the walking story? Yeah, hit me. Like I said, walking's been, walking's been my like steady and um, we have, I have three sons. Um, they're kind of preteen and teen. We've never had a family pet and they, they wore us down for two years and we got a puppy several months ago. Um, and so I walk all the time. I see all these people walking their dogs, right? I couldn't wait to have a puppy and like walk the puppy. Well, I have had really no experience and had no idea that like it takes puppies months, at least the kind we have to get trained to actually walk. And so I'm like, the dog won't walk. The puppy won't walk. And now the puppy will walk. It's such a naughty puppy when we're walking. Right? <laughs> it's like jumping and causing all this problems. Anyway, like my Zen peaceful, I'm going to think. Um, has turned into like managing the puppy. We're we're getting yeah. there, but um, <laughs> I just had no idea what I was getting into, and it's it's disrupted my routine. But we're getting there. Uh, I'm sorry. Good luck with that. What's your dog's name? Ahsoka, Star Wars character, the breeder named. Uh, awesome. And my my three boys, you know, loved that it was a Star Wars name, so we kept it. Also, that's perfect. Ahsoka, that's great. How about this? Has there been a book that uh, that either changed the way you think, your mind? Do you have a favorite book? Um. I do, but of course I'm like thinking of a few, but I'm going to say, um, big magic. Um, I think by Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. That book is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Big I just read that a couple of summer, sub, a couple of years ago during like a, a transition period, uh, I was experiencing unexpectedly and someone suggested it and gosh, it's, 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 I know I love reading and I read often the whole idea of like reading a book a second time. I don't often, but like 
that that's one. one that I, I've read again and will again. That story she said, uh, the one story that it just lasts for me in that book is the one where she had this writing project in her head and she never she never did anything with it. She just had that uh you called it uh that chronic contemplation. Chronic contemplation. Yeah, she had that. And then she j- gave up on it like the day before or something. Uh and, and she talked to another author. And an author's like, I just came up with this great idea. And the author, who she never talked about, described her writing project to the T, like even the, the craziest minute details. And she's like, the universe took it from her and gave it to the other author. And it's like, it was, yeah. it was weird. Do you remember that part of the book? That part? I do. I do. That yes. part was crazy. Yeah. I thought that, that was like almost like psychic. That was wild. Um, cool, cool. How about this? As you look out to the year ahead, what's the most exciting project you're working on now? Oh, I would say right now, as I mentioned, gosh, I'm just trying to think of some of the other side projects, but really, like I, I mentioned, I'm working with Diet ID and uh, we just came together with this organization called Tangelo and in California, um, Medicaid there has really tremendous benefits um, for those with chronic disease to have medically tailored meals delivered to their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am, I'm working with that team to help build um, dietitian support and education and coaching to complement those meals being delivered so that uh, when that meal benefit runs out, people are prepared to keep up, um, you know, make those hard diet changes that we were talking about. But it's so meaningful because these are individuals that not only, you know, are struggling with food and income security, but also chronic conditions. So it's just really big impacts and really excited about the work being supported in California and being able to have a, a, a contribution towards those efforts. Awesome. You, we spoke about digital health and apps. We spoke about that quite a bit. If everyone listening had to download one app, what's the app they need uh, to download? I don't know. I was worried you're going to ask me that because <laughs> I, I get asked that question and I, you know, what? Give me I, two. I'm going to give me your favorite. Well, two or can three I do then. this? I, I, isn't this, I mean, I'm not, I think it is so dependent upon what that individual is wanting to do with that app, right? I'm a huge fan of Headspace. Yeah. Um, that's like, that's, I, if I were to say one that I have had um, and used regularly for years that my children have used, my family have used, I have found that that's one that's like really meets people where they are with meditation and calmness and has been able to be a support for my family in so many ways. So I hate to hedge on that question, but um, I feel like it's so personal, but that's one that I would say if you haven't tried, because so many people myself included, like meditation, mindfulness, they feel like, oh, that's like, I don't do that. Like, I don't know what that what that's like. And Headspace has done a phenomenal job, really, you know, baby steps into it and, and in really, you know, way that people can consume it. So I'd say Headspace. Fair enough. I know it's nuanced, but I appreciate that. Appreciate the answer. We spoke about a lot. We covered digital health, behavior, your, your, all your work in behavior change, small steps. Um, if you could have everyone listening take just one lesson away from everything we discussed over the last hour. What would that lesson be? Hmm. Uh, that lesson would be, you know, I think taking like back to like thinking about their, their why taking, taking a few moments to just, you know, reflect on their health and their health behaviors. Because a lot of times we're just so busy in life, we're running, 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 we're not even stopping and thinking about what we're doing or what we're not doing. So mm-hmm. I'd say that like, just to even jumpstart any of those other strategies or things we talked about, the first step is just pausing and reflecting for a moment, thinking about your health and your health behaviors. And, you know, if you could, what would you change? Just start there. Where, where would you where would you start? Almost like a self-awareness, like know thyself, mm-hmm. basically pause, reflect, yeah. take a moment, like basically yeah. figure out what's your change and what's your why, basically. Yep. And it goes back to the, like meeting people where they are, right? If we, and, and, and doing that early preparation work for successful change, right? It's so easy, like, you know, go join a gym or, you know, buy healthy food that's going to go bad in the fridge, right? We, we tend to like want to act and do something. And we often miss those early steps that, that truly is the foundation, right? That's how when we're successful with change, that's typically how it happens is, is we stop, stop with that just reflection and awareness. Yeah. Cause sometimes when you join the gym, your body feels like your mind feels like you did something, even though you never worked out like, Oh, I joined the gym. I signed up for $10 exactly. a month. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I, you signed up, you got your little keychain where you could scan and like, I, you felt like you accomplished something and you go about what you're normally doing. Right. It, it's, yep. it's pretty funny how the mind works. Uh, to, there are two fun questions to wrap up. 
Um, this is a fun question. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Oh, if no. uh, Leanne, if you could, if you could spend the day with anyone, historical figure, famous, not famous, alive or dead, who would you spend the day with? You know, I, I, uh, I'm going to go with Oprah Winfrey. I just also, nice. I mean, I've always been like a huge fan, but I, yeah, I just yeah. finished a podcast. We could do hard things by Glennon Doyle. If any, I don't know if you're familiar with that podcast, but it's one of them, you know, one that I, I follow and uh, just listen to a, a podcast with Oprah Winfrey. So it's kind of renewed my, just, yeah, my love and enthusiasm for all the good that she's done. Her book, what I know for sure. I saw the book. I saw a great write up on it. I'm like, all right, here's a person who became a billionaire. Maybe I can learn something from him. Right. And I read it and it's one of my favorite books ever. What I know for sure. Amazing book. Um, Last question. Dr. Leanne Mariello, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say ah uh, this is a tough one hmm. uh, i think it would say i know long pause right yeah. ah i think lately i've i've uh my, I would say I'm enough. Awesome. I'm oh, enough. You put, oh, drop the mic. I know. I'm like, I'm like, my it out. Oh like, my gosh. You know, um, yeah, they're just, you know, there's, I am enough. That's a play that took enough. a long time to come out of the huddle, but they, <laughs> they executed it. You got like 27 yards. That's like a 27 yard yeah, screen play. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much in life, right? We're always Let's trying go. to achieve more and more and more, be, be more and more and more. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes it's okay to just stop and say, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I am enough. That is fantastic. Uh, I think I am enough is about as good as a spot to end as any. Uh, Dr. Liam. You said on my body, right? So it's something yeah, yeah. you're looking at all the time. <laughs> so That's perfect. That reminder that I need. <laughs> If people are looking for you and what you mm-hmm. do online, where can we find you? Yeah. Um, I actually, uh, about a year ago or so, it started a consulting business. So I do that on the side. So, but, but also just talks about my, my career and different ways that I, I'm working. So Evolve Health Advisors is where you can find me, Evolve Health Advisors. And then those on LinkedIn, certainly check out Leanne Mariello on LinkedIn. I've updated that in the last a little bit as well. But um, yeah, Evolve Health Advisors will talk a lot about the health transformation work and the science behind it and um, different ways we could collaborate if anyone's interested. That is awesome. Uh, Dr. Liam Moriello, I'm going to put your LinkedIn uh, profile and your website, Evolve Health Advisors online. Um, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Thank you for walking us through behavior change, how to accomplish our goals, digital health, uh, just living a healthy life in general. Uh, really, really appreciate your time and uh, wish you much success. Well, thank you. Thanks, Joe. It was a pleasure. So grateful for the opportunity. So thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. If you like, check this interview out on YouTube at our new Built Not Born YouTube station. Go on YouTube type in Built Not Born or Joe Chicarone, that's C-I-C-C-A-R-O-N-E. Check out the video. I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. Talk soon.